Um, guys, it's been so great. Well, it's, it's, isn't it great to be here? Like, I was just starting to get my jabula on there, and then uh, they got the preacher up. But uh, I've loved this book of Philemon, 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 whatever you want to call him. Um, and really, it's a masterpiece in persuasion. And, and that's a verb we love here, to persuade. Because we don't like telling people how to live their lives. We don't like... Um, kind of forcing people to do things around here, but we love to open the scriptures and allow God to persuade us on how we should live our lives in light of who He is and in light of what He's done. And so this book is all about persuasion, and uh, I don't know about you, but I've felt so served by the preachers that have gone before. Puller and James and Kirsten last week have served us so well and provided some incredible application from this little book. We have learned a couple of things. We've learned the story of Onesimus, the slave, who had run away from Philemon, the boss. Um, And we've learned how he ran into Paul in Rome, which you might be thinking, how unfortunate is that for him? Because Paul is a friend of Philemon. So he runs all the way to Rome only to run into one of the boss's mates. But actually what we've learned is it was actually incredibly Fortunate. It wasn't at all unfortunate. It was incredibly fortunate because Paul shares the message of the gospel with him and he becomes a Christian. It's amazing. And so now what we find is the one that has run away is being sent back to the boss as not a slave but as a brother in Christ. And uh, this letter is all about the persuasion of Paul writing to Philemon to persuade him to receive back Onesimus as a brother. Now, last week, I I so appreciated the way Kirsten shared with us the fact that both of these individuals probably felt hard done by. They felt like um, they were recipients of an injustice. So, So firstly, Onesimus, from a systemic slavery issue, he felt hard done by. But equally, Philemon, as a victim of personal offense, you know, he had been stolen from. And so what Paul does is he, he seeks to bring them together under Christ. And uh, he appeals both to Philemon's mind, but also to his heart that we're going to see today. I want to remind you, he started by commending him for his love and his faith. Remember that? He commended Philemon for his love and, and faith. And we see that actually it's this love that is the foundation for this plea. The foundation for this uh, persuasion is the love of God. What we also see is there is a massive underlying theme of reconciliation, that reconciliation doesn't just happen vertically, me and God, but actually it overflows into reconciliation with my brother and my sisters. So I'm going to read the passage. My passage I'm preaching is from verse 17 of, of Philemon. But I'm actually going to back up to verse 8 so that we get the whole sense of the plea, because there might be some sitting here who haven't been around the last two weeks. So this is Paul writing. Let let me pray, actually, first. God, I pray, even as I read your word, that you would speak to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would help us to know Jesus and fall in love with him more through this. I'm so grateful for your presence here with us. Won't you help me? Help us all as we listen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my, my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant but more that a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Beautiful letter, huh? Eh? So we're going to break this last bit down in three ways. We're going to say, look at what happened to Onesimus. We're going to talk about this vertical, horizontal uh, reconciliation. And then finally, we're going to look at this bit about the fellow workers, all those names that were mentioned. So what has happened to Onesimus? Can anyone remember? He underwent a radical transformation. Remember, this dude had risked his very life to escape to Rome. He risked his very life. He could have been crucified for what he did. And yet now he's turning and going back. What has happened? Something radical has happened to him. And what had happened was the gospel had happened to him. He'd heard the message of Jesus Christ. And, like, that changes you. I know many of you around here. And I know that once you were there, now you're there. Once you were dead, now you're alive. We've been massively transformed by this good news, by hearing this good news. In fact, Paul says, I find him to be so useful. He's a total blessing in my life. But remember, he was useless. Not anymore. He's been changed. He's a new man. He, he's a child of God. I love this. Paul urges Philemon to receive him as if he were receiving himself. It's kind of like I've, if I've got a friend in Durban and, and one of my kids was going to pass through Durban to get on a boat to go somewhere, and I phoned up the friend and I said, hey, friend, one of my kids is passing through town. Can he stay with you the night before he gets on that boat? And the friend would say, of course, just like you could stay with me, your kid can stay with me. Same deal. 
In fact, Paul goes further. He says, in fact, whatever he owes you, charge it to me. Whatever he owes you. You see, there was this underlying assumption that he has taken something from Philemon. Whatever he owes you, charge it to me. And what's beautiful about this is Paul is actually reflecting something of Jesus in this moment. Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for every one of us. What you are owing, he paid. This is the amazing news of the gospel. Jesus paid the price for our sin. This is the message that transformed Onesimus. He heard the message that actually Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was in perfection in heaven, left the perfection of heaven to come down to our broken world, to live in our broken world as a man, facing all the challenges we face, and yet the Bible says he never sinned, lived a perfect life, but he was murdered unjustly. And the reason he was murdered was that he paid in blood the price that was due for all of our wrongdoing. All of the things that you've done that were wrong, the things that you should have done that were good that you didn't do, Jesus paid for it all. This is the amazing message of the gospel. Jesus did all the work, we get all the benefit. I like deals like that, right? Hey? He does all the work, I get the benefit. He does all the studying, I get the A result on my exam. That's, That's what it's like. Jesus did it all, And Onesimus came to believe this message that Jesus had died in his place, that he was now a child of God. He was made new from death to life. He was born again. And in fact, what we see Paul doing here is he he reminds Philemon, he says, that same message, do you remember that I was the one who shared it with you? You also heard that message once and you were transformed. And so the application, friends, for us is, flip, we need to remind each other of that message. We need to remind each other of what the gospel has done in each of our lives, how it has transformed us. And if you're not a Christ follower here this morning, I want to tell you, this is the best news you could ever hear. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to do better. You just have to believe. We've got baptisms coming up in a little bit. And really, that is an outward sign of what has happened in someone's heart. It's a celebration of people who were dead coming to life. It's amazing. See, by standing here and declaring that they're going to follow Jesus, they they are declaring the fact that their faith is in Him. And the Bible says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You will be saved from what? The consequences of your sin. And that's what they are going to be declaring this morning. And we are going to celebrate and rejoice with them. Second thing I want to look at is that reconciled to God means we must then be reconciled to one another. You see, Paul insists on sending him back. Dude, you have to go back. We have to sort this relationship out. Why? Because they are both sons of the same father. Now, for Lauren and I, when our kids are not at peace with each other. We get stressed. Any parents experience that? Like when your kids are fighting, it just brings distress on us, right? Well, God is kind of like that. He's not exactly like that because God doesn't get stressed, right? God isn't anxious and fearful and concerned like we get. But God's desire is that we live in harmony with one another, 
in unity with one another. Check what David says in Psalm 133. It's a beautiful little psalm. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You read through the pages of Scripture. The unity of the brothers and sisters brings blessing of God. It's His desire that we live in unity and harmony with one another. I, I love the way Paul also says, he says, like, go and be reconciled, do the right thing, and in that you will refresh my heart. You refresh my heart. You see, when we live out this, when we live out the right thing, when we are reconciled, it brings refreshment to others who look in. It's like when we watch these guys getting baptized, we, we who believe are going to be going, yeah, even though we might not know their personal stories, there's something in that that brings joy and refreshment to us too. Now, Paul, he, he knows Philemon. He knows him. And he says this. He says, confident that you will do this and more. So confident that you're going to receive Onesimus back as a brother. I, in fact, you're probably going to go way further. You're probably going to set him up in his own business or something. Confident you will do this and more. So what does the application look like for us? What does the application look like for us in South Africa? I think my thesis is that there hasn't been a lot of true and deep reconciliation. Otherwise, we wouldn't be dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with now. So let's look at the story. What is required for reconciliation? Part A, what does Anesimus do? He must turn and go back and face the music for what he's done. He must acknowledge, I've done something wrong, guy. And we heard this could even cost him his life. Second thing, Philemon must not treat him as he deserves. No, he mustn't treat him as a runaway slave. He must receive him back as a brother. In fact, even if he's got a debt, to forgive it or to charge it to his mentor, Paul. But I don't think that was ever going to happen, right? Not the way Paul phrased that bit. You see, this is a work that is undertaken by people that have received the grace of God powerfully. You see, we must understand that actually it's grace that empowers Philemon. This name, Philemon. What? Who says Philemon? Who says Philemon? Oh, guys, you didn't even help me there. If you're watching at home, half said one, half said the other. I'll just do interchanging. So Philemon, he has received the grace of God. He's received forgiveness for all his wrongdoing and his sin. And that enables him to forgive the brother, right? He's been forgiven a million. He can forgive a hundred rand. But equally, grace is what enables Onesimus to turn in repentance. Even though he might face death. Why? Because he's been accepted by the only one in the universe that counts. He's been accepted by God. So even if Philemon rejects him, even if Philemon has him put to death on a cross, he's accepted forevermore by God. 
Who cares if, if he's killed in the body? It doesn't matter. He knows he's accepted by the king of the universe, the only one that matters for all eternity. That's a work of grace. So maybe in South Africa we need to be better at receiving grace, both so that we can own our sin, but equally that we can be good at forgiving others. See, taking Onesimus in as a brother is actually about restoring relationship. See, it wasn't about just taking him back, giving him his old job. No, it was about becoming brothers. It's about relationship. And one of the reasons that we haven't seen a proper reconciliation is relationships are still broken. Relationships haven't been restored. And here's the deal. Guys, in the church, we are the only ones who actually have access to the... Well, actually, God is graceful to everyone, but we are recipients of massive amounts of grace. So we should be leading the way in showing what reconciliation looks like in terms of right relationships, in terms of living right with one another, in terms of showing a picture of what living a biblical just life looks like in the workplace, in our homes, in our relationships. As I was mulling on this, I was thinking actually one of the key parts in this is for Philemon to see Onesimus returning open-handed, vulnerable. Because he's seeing that actually there's been a change of heart. This guy is moving toward me. He should be scared of me. He should be running for the hills, but he's turned and he's coming back to me. See, the repentant return shows that the heart has been changed. The heart has been worked on. And it helps the one who's been wrong, Philemon in this case, to be able to offer forgiveness. And so this true reconciliation is revealed in restores, restored relationships, and it is, uh, starts with repentance and restitution. You know, so the wrongs of the last few hundred years can never be fully paid back in monetary terms. But actually, when we start doing restitution, when we turn in repentance, we reveal a heart that's been changed, a heart that's soft and that's willing and keen for restored relationship. Now, as we've gone through this book over the last few weeks, I'm not sure who you've identified best with in the story. I mean, there's times when you think, yo, I can see myself in Onesimus. Other times you can see yourself with Philemon. I don't mind where you are, even this morning. But I hope that you have been provoked by some of the questions that have been posed to us. What I can say for me is, when Kirsten last week said, Philemon was known for his faith and his love. And she said, how many of you are known for your faith? And I put my hand up. All my friends know I'm a believer. And then she said, how many of you are known for your love? And I swallowed hard. How many people out there would know me for my love? I don't know what questions have challenged you, but maybe I'll ask a few more. Are you reconciled to God the way that Onesimus and Philemon were? Have you been reconciled to God? Would you call yourself a child of God? What about, are there people in your life right now that you are not in right relationship with? That you, you reconciled to God, but there's not a lot of reconciliation this way. 
It might be family members, it might be friends, or maybe it's whole people groups, ethnic groups. Maybe it's time for us to look at where we need to turn back in repentance. Where we need to ask God, help me to offer forgiveness to this sister, to this brother. See, God really cares that we are reconciled to our brothers and sisters. It really matters to Him. And then finally, the fellow workers. Let's get on to this bit. Paul mentions his desire to come and visit and stay in Philemon's home. Now, I don't know if he had a nice house like Prince Antwambo there. But here's what I get out of it. He didn't ask to stay in the five-star inn up the road. No. And in fact, we see these extended greetings from others, what we see in this is that there's this real sense of love and relationship in their job of ministry. It wasn't like a business. This was like a family deal. Now, you can see Paul's view of team coming through in various places. I love 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, where he says the following. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. This is amazing. He turns down an open door for ministry. Why? Because there's no team. He's not a lone ranger, this dude. Why? Paul knows lone rangers are dead rangers. This is amazing, think about it. The dude who wrote a ton of scripture in the New Testament, doesn't see himself as more important to the context than the team. He does not see himself as a man with a power for the hour in Troas. And yet, we confronted with leaders all around us, around the world, not in Joburg, around the world that kind of think that team is a arbitrary sidebar. They are the main deal going on. So in this church, we have a team of elders that lead the church. We try to do this in accordance with how we best interpret New Testament leadership layout. There's a team of elders. The word elder is a biblical term. That's why we use the term elder. It's a biblical term. We're trying to be biblical around here as best we can. We don't always get it right. We try. It's the same word used for bishop, for overseer. And these people, these individuals, do the work of pastoring or shepherding God's flock. Did you hear that? God's flock, not their flock. Who's the owner? God. These guys are like managers. See, a pastor is an elder, an elder is an overseer. They all refer to the same office, and they do the same work. Same thing. We don't particularly like pastor around here just because of the cultural connotations, okay? There's too much the pastor. It's unhelpful. It's a function. We pastor. It's not a title. The other interesting thing is as you read through the New Testament, every time you come across the elder, it's always elders. It's not the elder in Ephesus. The elder in Antioch and the elder in Jerusalem had this to say. No, it's always in plurality. There's always more than one of them. Now today I have the joy and thrill of announcing that we are going to be appointing a new elder on our team. Come on. 
So it just happened to fit in with a preach. You notice that, eh? Like smooth as anything. So Appendile Bokreni has uh, been part of our team for many, many years. He's been around on our team, in fact, for a number, a lot of years. We were about to appoint him as an elder a couple of years ago, and then his company decided to transfer him and Hannah off to India for a year. But we feel like now the time is right. And what's particularly exciting and joyful about this appointment is that he came to faith in our Wits congregation. As a student, he came from the Eastern Cape to Joburg. He heard the message that Onesimus heard, and his life was turned upside down. He was transformed. He became a leader in the church. He then went on holiday to Clarence, and he met Hannah, and then the rest is history. They got married. They went off to India. They came back, and when they came back, they said, we feel like God is calling us into a new season of ministry. And so we talked, and we prayed, and they then made a decision to slot in in the Parks PM congregation, where they have been absolute rock stars. They are amazing. Not only in the Parks PM congregation, but also in terms of our elders and wives team, they are such a blessing and such an asset to us. We love them so much. And I know many of you are sitting there thinking, but I thought he was already an elder, right? Well, yeah. So the process for this is, number one, to tell the church, which I'm doing right now. If you're watching at home, you're hearing. Guys tonight will hear. The next step is for us all as the body to participate. Now we're going to do that in two ways. Number one, by praying for the Bokleni family. Hannah, Appendile, Tando. This is a change for them in their lives. Number two, I want to ask you to contribute to the conversation by sending an email to me, greg.tate at godfirst.coza, to just say, flippin' awesome. If that's all you can do, just do that. If you want to write three paragraphs or five paragraphs just endorsing it, do that. If you saw him uh, doing something dodgy last week, you can write that in as well. <laughs> Whatever you want to write, just send something in. And there they are. Guys, why don't you come quickly up here while I'm finishing so people can see you for those who don't know you. And then thirdly, assuming all goes well, on the 20th of June, we're going to doing, be doing the appointment. So we're going to have some guys coming in. And wonderfully, we're going to have uh, the family from the Eastern Cape coming up to be part of the celebration, which is awesome. So there they are. Let's give them a hand. Actually, let me pray. Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for these guys. We thank you for the incredible blessing they are to our team and the way they love and serve our church. And we pray for these next few weeks as, as they prepare for this, that you'd be all over them. And we pray that the 20th would be a mighty celebration. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys. Okay, so let me conclude. Number one, the gospel message. If you here, you wouldn't call yourself a Christ follower, I want to tell you, this is the best news you ever heard. He did everything, and you get it all for what he did. We can talk more afterwards. If you want to talk about it, come find me. I'm in this uh, very well-branded T-shirt. The new name in coffee in South Africa. Secondly, 
Once you have been re- reconciled vertically to God, we must then be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. We must. And we as Christ followers, knowing the love and grace of God at work in our lives, we're able to do that. And then thirdly, leadership is expressed in terms of team, in terms of family, and the context of, of, of togetherness. And we are wonderfully adding to our team in the next couple of weeks. So please, uh, even get on your phone and send that email now so you don't forget. Let me pray, and then we're going to worship Jesus. Lord, thank you for your great and precious promises. Thank you for ever leaving heaven to come to this earth to die in our place, Jesus. Thank you for taking our place on that cross so that we can go free. Thank you that we could ever have heard this good news because our lives have been changed, not just for the next 70 years, but for the next eternity. We're so grateful and we love you, Jesus. And I pray this morning that you would continue to work in our hearts, that you would help us to see you and worship you and love you. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.